I went to work in finance for Intel Corp. You know, giant corporation, woohoo, big secure job. So I got a half hour meeting on my calendar on April 20th of 2020 with no subject that that only showed up about an hour and a half beforehand. So I'm like, this is weird. Okay, whatever. And so I call in and he says, okay, well, yeah, um, as you know, we have budget pressures. So your position's being eliminated. And then my network access was cut off and it's over. Welcome to episode 83 of the 95 podcast. That was just Doug Upberg. And as you heard in that clip, like so many others, Doug was let go in 2020 amid all that pandemic stuff going on. Now, rather than trying to build a reputation at a new company, climb the corporate ladder, and ultimately continue on that same path, he decided to build something of his own. Today, Doug will be sharing what that experience has been like, as well as the steps he's taking to further grow the multiple businesses that he's currently building. Hey guys, before we get into the interview, I just wanted to share a quick message. If you don't already know, I've been helping podcasters get started the past several years since launching my own show, The 9-5 Podcast, back in 2020. Throughout the launch of my show and in helping many others get started, I've learned a lot about the process and I want to share that with you. If you've been thinking about starting your own podcast but are overwhelmed by all the tech and software involved and don't really even know what you want your show to be about, I want to help. Head over to 95podcast.com forward slash start and there you can hop on a free call with me where we can put together a plan for your new show. Thanks guys. Enjoy the episode. This is the 9-5 Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Nelbach, where we get into the minds of entrepreneurs and people just like you, so you can start, build, and grow your own online business. Welcome back to the 9-5 Podcast. This is the show where we interview entrepreneurs and business owners to help you start and grow your own business. And today on the podcast, I have Doug and I'm going to screw up this last name. I should have asked you beforehand. Utberg? Uh, uh, well, that, that would, that's actually probably the uh, appropriate um, the, the appropriate pronunciation. So my grandma always said Utberg. Uh, she unfortunately passed at uh, the end of, uh, I think it was the end of 2020. It's been a whole year now. But yes, yes. So my wow. grandma pronounced it Utberg. So that was how I grew up. But Utberg or Utberg is almost certainly the appropriate native pronunciation. <laughs> Okay. Doug Utberg. Well, Doug, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Especially glad because I think the uh, I get excited about the idea of people who want to, uh, I don't want to say want to join the entrepreneurial life because people who say that don't know what it means, <laughs> but people who want something different and have a message they want to bring out to the world, which I think is a, a little better, um, which I think is a little more accurate of a description of the way you need to look at it if you want to succeed. No, I, I really like that. I think that's a, a great way of looking at it. It's kind of the entrepreneurship. We've talked about it on previous yeah. episodes, but it's kind of got this glamorous. Yeah, it wasn't always that way. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's, it's just kind of popped up in the headlines more and more. So I, th I think it's really interesting hearing what entrepreneurship means to yeah. everybody. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. And well, and absolutely. I mean, and so, you know, if you don't mind, I'll get into it. So, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm an old school comic superhero fan. Uh, I'll get into, you know, what I call the, you know, the backstory, you know, because it's like every, you know, every, every good comic character always needs to have some kind of backstory that takes them to the weird situation they're in right now. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Who, who is Doug Utberg? 
Yeah, well, Fill okay. So yeah, let, let's just, uh, all right, kids, you know, kind of, you know, cuddle up to the fire for story time. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, so, uh, I finished undergrad from Portland state in 2000 and, uh, I actually, I did a brief stint selling life insurance, but after that I went to work in finance for Intel Corp, you know, giant corporation, woohoo, big secure job, you know, jackpot. And so, you know, I was there for like, you know, almost 18 years, long, long time, rotated wow. between a whole bunch of different groups. You know, I, you know, kind of had some fits and starts. I kind of, advanced, stalled out, advanced, stalled out. And then I eventually kind of just sort of stalled out to where it's like my management was not really supporting me to continue growing. I really liked my team, but I didn't really feel like I was going to be able to you know, to continue moving, uh, you know, because if for anybody who's not familiar with kind of how the, how the corporate game works, is that you know usually you'll you'll get promoted pretty quickly when you first start up, but then once you get to a certain point in your career, you really need to have managerial support. You need to have like really strong support from the people above you in management in order to continue ascending. And if you don't have that, you basically if you don't want your career to flatline, you either have to leave the company or go to another group. Well, any Anytime you do either of those, it's about a two to five year process to get the people who are in your senior management chain to trust you enough to where they'll say, yes, they're ready to move up. And if there's like, for example, a reorganization or an acquisition or a divestiture, that can throw that whole thing up in the air. Uh, so anyway, what I did about right about 2018 was I moved to Lattice Semiconductor and I went from finance to information technology because I was the program management office director. Although it's, I was kind of in IT, although I, um, the CIO that I was working for uh, didn't, didn't like dealing with the budget or finance. So I, I managed all that stuff for him. So I, I kept joking that I, I I actually did more finance in IT than I did when I was in finance. <laughs> uh, so, but anyway, uh, you know, I was going through all that, working on kind of putting their technology stack back together, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then on April 20th of 2020, what had happened the month before was my boss had, uh, he had retired. Well, he actually unretired by now, but he'd actually moved out. He, he, he or was moved out, uh, because the, uh, the, the management structure wanted to put in a new chief information officer. Okay, fine. That's life. Uh, so we had a guy, he came in from the Bay Area. And the first thing he did was he got rid of the old guy's inner circle. This is a classic Bay Area management type of move, which is where all the people who were in the other person's inner circle, they're gone and you can put your own people in. Well, I was first on the list. So I got a half hour meeting on my calendar on April 20th of 2020 with no subject that that only showed up about an hour and a half beforehand. So I'm like, this is weird. Okay, whatever. And so I call in and he says, okay, well, yeah, um, as you know, we have budget pressures. So your position's being eliminated. HR comes in and says, okay, yeah, you'll get a, you'll get an, e you'll get, you'll get a message to your personal email uh, outlining the package. And then my network access was cut off and it's over. And so here Damn. I am dropped on the street uh, in April of 2020, alongside about 20, 25 million other people who had all been either furloughed or fired that same month. Uh, and in the subsequent months, you know, I put in hundreds and hundreds of job applications, nothing, just crickets because, you know, everything was just in this big chaotic swirl. Well, so then what I ended up doing was, I mean, I've, you know, I've always, I've always had a draw toward the idea of doing my own thing. I've, you know, just had this pesky mortgage that I needed to pay, um, you know, and I was mar married and had kids who were going to private school and, you know, had a lot of money that needed to go out for that kind of stuff. Um, but more or less kind of where I kind of, where I got to was I was saying, okay, I'm looking at 
three to five years, wherever I land, to kind of get back to a, hey, this guy's leadership material, let's move him up. And I'm like, okay, in that same three to five years, I can stumble through getting my own business up and going and stay and, and together and be doing something that I really want. You know, because I think there's there's a lot of romance about getting to the end point of being an entrepreneur, which is where you're able to pay all your bills. What nobody ever talks about is when you when you start start off at that point where you have absolutely no income and you're burning money and you don't know where your next dollar is coming from. That part's not sexy, um, but th- but that that's the part you have to get through in order to get to the mission driven business. You know, fulfilling your life's purpose, changing lives, all that kind of stuff. And all that stuff's great, but you have to get through the you know I call it the swamp, right? You have to get through that mm-hmm. swamp of not knowing where your next dollar is coming from and figure out how to pay, figuring out how to pay for all your stuff. Um, and so I think that any conversation of entrepreneurship that doesn't involve the swamp uh, is missing a really big element because getting through that swamp is probably the biggest the, is the biggest hurdle to overcome. Uh, so anyway, I've talked a whole lot. Um, kind of, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm serving the ball back to your side of the court. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I that's really fascinating, and um, I, I'm always really interested in how people kind of came to that point yeah. where they're like, okay, I'm going to start my own thing, and you were kind of forced into it. Yes, at a certain point, you had to make that decision: do I want to try to reclimb that corporate ladder, yeah. or do I just want to build something on my own? And kind of what you're talking about with the swamp. I I don't know. Have you, are you familiar with the dip or the Valley of despair? Uh, so the, the, what we used to do is we used to call it the enthusiasm cycle. So, you know, we, we, what we did was, you know, we said, okay, you know, you have your starting point, you have the peak of unrealistic expectations. Yes. And then you have the <laughs> Valley of despair. Um, you, you, you have the re the, uh, the, the, the regression to reality. And then you have kind of a linear path, uh, you know, a linear path of sustained growth. Yes. That is exactly <laughs> what I was thinking about when you were bringing up the swamp. Swamp, kind of getting, we all are super excited right yeah. when we start. Yes. And I don't know how many different things I've started and been just like, this is it. Like, let's go. Yeah. And then it slowly teeters down to that value of despair. We're like, okay, what am I even doing? Yeah. Am I even making the right decision? Yes. Yeah. Well, and so, and in, in my case, kind of talking about getting through the swamp. So what I ended up doing was I ended up uh, starting up an expense reduction consulting business. It was through a franchise outfit called Expense Reduction Analyst. So the side that I'm on is business development, which is a fit for my skill set. Uh, and I, I, my counterparts are uh, cost category specialists. And so the way it works is actually pretty slick, uh, where what I do is I'll go to a company and I'll say, hey, look, you know what I, you know, Everybody has a bunch of expenses. We specialize in contract-based ex- outsource expenses. What we'll do is we will go and renegotiate those on your behalf for no upfront costs. And all we do is we just bill you for uh, 50% of the achieved savings for 24 months. Sounds like a no-brainer. Yeah. Try doing that over Zoom <laughs> with, right. with people who have never met you before. Um, and, you know, because that's the thing is that, you know, and a, a lot of these really good opportunities have really, really long sales cycles that are extremely difficult to accomplish if you can't actually meet people. Because you know, now that I've like actually been able to go start talking to people for lunch, I'm like, oh my God, this is so much easier. Um, <laughs> you know, because you know, I, I was trying to get people to, to meet over Zoom. And, you know, of course, I'm trying to get them to respond to emails and email response rates are like, you know, almost nothing. And, you know, so it's like kind of trying to start that whole thing during the during a pandemic was probably not the wisest uh, not the wisest uh, thing to do although I'm I'm hesitant to say you know to to put too much uh, kind of uh, 
hindsight looking judgment on it because uh, there is almost no entrepreneurial venture that is a good idea. <laughs> uh, almost everyone, <laughs> if you really think about it, is pretty stupid. And so, so what you kind of end up doing is cycling through a number of really bad ideas or might be good, might be bad ideas until you hit the right one at the right time and it takes off. Uh, and so I think in, in actually one of what is now you know, uh, becoming one of my favorite books uh, by Scott Adams. You know how to fail at almost everything and still win big. Uh, the way that he, uh, the way that he described entrepreneurship was, he said it's like standing at a slot machine where instead of putting money in, the main thing you put in is time. And essentially, what you do is you just keep pulling the handle. And at some at some point, <laughs> at some point, it'll pay off. You don't know when that is. You may have to pull the handle for a really, really really long time. Um, you know, but as long as you just don't make the same mistake more than once, uh, you know, you, your odds will inevitably improve. <laughs> it is, you know, at some point you'll, you know, if you, you know, as long as you don't repeat the same blunders over and over again, you will get to something that works. Um, and so, so like, for example, in my case, uh, kind of, you know, I started doing expense reduction, really long sales cycle. So I'm like, okay, um, if I want to stay married, I'm going to need to generate some kind of positive income. So I started a contract role for a little while. This is another thing to think about, right? Just because, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have, that you're not going to have to hustle to pay the bills. Now, as a contractor, I had the advantage of not needing to spend all my time posturing to try to get promoted because... I'm a contractor. Well, so then after a little while, uh, after a little while there, I was actually able to go into another role that I'm, you know, another hustle that I'm currently doing, uh, which is doing uh, IT resourcing for a local uh, IT services company, uh, IT resourcing and services company called ServerLogic. And I'm on the business development side. So the good part there is that my activities in business development between developing IT business and developing expense reduction business overlap. Here's another nugget, which is that sometimes you can combine two or three hustles together. And if those hustles all overlap, you can get a lot of time synergies. Um, and one of the other, other reasons why I ended up picking this one is because they, uh, you know, in contrast to the corporate environment, which has almost every day is locked up with meetings, the, the gig that I'm at right now has two, stand, two standing 30-minute me meetings per week. Just two. That's it. All the rest is go out and do stuff. And so I think another yeah, another lesson to take out of that is that sometimes you need to value time over money uh, because the amount that I'm making in base salary, or I guess I'm a 1099, so it's not really salary, but I guess you'd say base compensation is considerably less than where I was at on the contract. It's a little over half, but not that much. Uh, now, of course, there's commission, there's upside, all that kind of stuff. But the real advantage is that I'm able to develop both businesses simultaneously, and I'm able to weave doing my podcast in with all of those. Uh, and so what that's done is that's created some of the space for the current rabbit hole that I'm in, which is looking, which is really digging into sales funnels and taking and taking clients down a defined journey. Um, you know, because I think the it's it's funny because you know every now and then you find that right vehicle. Uh, you know, because of course you know I've been reading about self development, uh, about copywriting, about all these types of things for 20 years, and you know all of a sudden you start saying, hey, wait a second, oh, I see where this applies and that applies and you know if if you continue if you continue consuming uh consuming quality development information you will find you will get to a time when all the pieces kind of fit together but you don't know when that is and so a part of what you need to do is just continue showing up 
until that time comes, which is hard to do because, you know, when you're on the other side of the fence, you're like, oh yeah, you know, I totally knew it was going to happen. You didn't know. You hoped it was going to happen, but you don't know. The only thing you know is that you're going to die and pay taxes. <laughs> That's that you make a really great point because I I've consumed, I don't know how much content over the last several years. And I've, I don't know, I got to a point where I had to stop because I would just <laughs> kind of get excited about the next thing. And I'd be like, okay, I just need to tone myself down. One of the things that have happened, you know, kind of with a obsessive content, uh, consumption or content absorption type of mindset is that you'll be absorbing content and some of it will contradict it, itself. It, it, each oh, other. Yeah. So you'll have, there'll be some authors who are like, yeah, I totally get it. And other authors, I'm like, yeah, I totally get it. They're telling me to do different things. <laughs> right. um, and so what it's like, what you have to do is you almost have to kind of build, you, you have to develop a, you know, kind of a, a corpus or a body of, um, of knowledge and then really depend, decide what your point of view is and then kind of, you know, continue down that direction. Now, if you're just starting out, I would say be, you know, kind of don't take any one piece of information uh, too seriously, uh, but just ba- just really build that base of information. Now, for me, I am a uh, I'm a serial Audible subscriber. I have like 160 audiobooks on my account or something like that. It's a lot. Um, but the ones that are good, I'll listen to five, six, eight, ten, twenty times. Uh, you know, because you know, for me, I'm an auditory learner too. So what that does is that helps to implant it in your subconscious to where you know. When you really get to that, uh, you know, to that direction that you want to go, you can start really diving deep to where you're like, "Hey, I've heard it." To where like, "Okay, no, now I really, really, really get it." And anyway, and, and enough for me. Continue. <laughs> I interrupted you. <laughs> no, you're good. I, you brought up a really great point, and I think until you actually start putting some of that stuff to action, regardless of how much contradictory stuff is out there, until you actually start doing something with it, I mean, you, you'd never know. You have no idea. No. Everyone's business is going to operate differently. Um, but to your point about kind of actually having things kind of click together, mm-hmm. I kind of had that aha moment out just recently. Actually, we were I was talking with some peers of mine. We were discussing how I'm like kind of building the business and the direction I want to yeah. go and all that. And every business book, entrepreneur book, whatever, always talks about branding, messaging, like all of that kind of stuff, being clear about who your audience is and all of that. And I, I understood it. I was reading it. I was like, yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. But until I actually got down into it and was like trying to identify each and every individual piece of it, it, it just kind of made sense in my head, but it didn't like really make sense. And once I started kind of unfolding that, it was like, holy crap, this makes total sense. Like, well, why was and, I not yeah. doing this? <laughs> well, and because, yeah, I think the, the way that I look at what you just said is because I would articulate it a little differently. People say, be really clear on who your audience is. I would say, be really clear on who your audience is not. Um, mm. Because, but because the thing is, if you think about, it, well, who's my audience? Well I, well, I want everybody to be my audience. No, that's stupid. Right? Because <laughs> you, there is absolutely no way you can be appealing to everybody. What you, what, what you need to do is you need to decide who do you want to be appealing to and who do you not want to be appealing to. And in some cases, what you can do is you can have a two or three or four niche audiences that kind of feed into a bigger audience. Um, you know, and so like for example, uh, kind of with the uh, with the way that I've been developing my business is, you know, of course. Yeah, I say I have financial decision makers on expense reduction, and I have IT, you know, technology decision makers in IT. This is this is all feeding into kind of a founder, executive decision maker type of you know type of customer group, um, you know. And so that means that by definition, my audience is not people who are in that type of position. Does it mean that I can't help them? Not necessarily, but it means that they're not the people that I'm going to go and try to find. There are many, mm-hmm. many, many, many other people who are out there to serve those folks, and it's not that I don't want to serve them, but if I have to water down my message enough to where I'm appealing 
appealing to everybody, it won't be that it, it, it just won't be that appealing to the people who I really want to find. Right. You, in a sense, end up appealing to nobody. Yes, exactly. It's too exactly. broad. Because, you know, you know, because of course, right, you know, if you, you, if you try to appeal to everybody, you're not going to say, you know, you're not going to have any strong opinions because, you know, if mm-hmm. you have strong opinions, you could get canceled. You get, you get canceled, then you're going to end up with a bunch of haters and people won't like you. And Okay. So what that means is, yeah, that isn't going to work in the kind of in the 2022 world. Um, you know, you, you need to have a defined group of people who you identify with them and they will identify with you. I think that that is what is, you know, that's what really makes a difference. And, you know, because like just intellectually kind of taking it on a tangent toward like, say, you know, kind of having an online business, because in some way or another, just about every business ends up being an online business now. Um, and so for the longest time, I couldn't really figure out what the thing was, was with these people who were making just gob tons of money online, right? You know, because, because of course, right, I did the math and I'm like, okay, well, if I buy something, resell it on eBay, I'll make a few dollars, but it, I'll be, it'll basically come out to minimum wage. Well, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. I go, okay, well, you know, so it's like, you know, if I go and write and, and write and write a sales page for an affiliate product, I'm competing with thousands of other people selling the exact same product. And I'll be my, you know, and the amount that I'll make will basically be knocked down to about minimum wage. That's stupid. Why am I going to do that? I'm like, okay, how are these people, how are these, these people generating, um, you're generating so much money. And the answer is what they are doing is they're developing an audience of people, you a, a list from that audience of people who they identify with their audience, their audience identifies with them. They communicate with them enough to where they build the trust, to where they build trust. And then when they say, hey, I tried out this product, it was really good, you should give it a shot. And it's an affiliate product, they'll get a percentage who will go by kind of without question because they already have the trust. You, you cannot make online sales work if you don't don't have that trust with your audience. I, yeah, I completely agree because I've tried all yeah. of that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to exercise my powers of cognition. I'm going to guess that you burned a whole bunch of money on ads and couldn't figure out what the problem was. I, I was luckily conservative with it because I knew that was going to be a risk. <laughs> but yeah, essentially, yeah. <laughs> put, put a lot of money in ads that yielded absolutely no results. Yep. And it's a frustrating thing, but it also comes back to trying to sort of shortcut some of the stuff. Yep. And it was like, I'm reading all this content. I'm re- yeah. taking in all this information. It's like, you can't take shortcuts. Like this is how you have to do it. It's like, but that's going to take way too long. Yeah. yeah that's like, going to take like years. <laughs> yeah. Like I need it now. I'm going to run ads. That'll get yeah. me there. And it just doesn't pan out. Mm-hmm. So is that, where are you? I was kind of browsing around on your LinkedIn yeah. and it, you have a lot of people engaging with your yeah. stuff over there on LinkedIn. Like how, how are you actually kind of cultivating this audience or getting your message out to where it's attracting new people? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so kind of where, where I'm at in my journey right now is, um, you know, I've had my podcast going for about a year. Um, you know, I have decent engagement, but you know, I'm, I'm still fairly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still fairly early in my real, you know, in, in the real list building. And, you know, of course I have a whole bunch of people's email who I, you know, who I connect with. That's not really a list. A list mm-hmm. is people who have, said, I want to hear more from you. And when they hear more from you, don't unsubscribe. That's what a list is. Not that many people have. Um, and so what, you know, because what, what I'm really working, what I'm working through right now is building that sales funnel progression so that I can say, hey, I put a free report together. Okay. You know, hey, I have a, you know, a big giant bundle of information products I'm going to give you for a ridiculously low price. And then ascend to, oh, hey, by the way, I've built this, I built a 30 day challenge that'll help, that'll help you get to your goals mm-hmm. and eventually ascend to, hey, 
hey, I have this inner circle group that all have escalating costs. Well, that all takes time to put together. And so what I'm doing is I'm focusing on that front end side of the, you know, that that front end lead capture part of the funnel, uh, particularly because so for both of my kind of core businesses, right, the IT, uh, IT resourcing and expense reduction, those are pretty high ticket services, right? They are high cost, high value services. The problem is that getting somebody to go from who the hell are you to I trust you enough to uh, you know I trust you enough to do a high a high value high cost service for my organization that that's a long that that can be a long road and so you know if even if you're in a professional services putting together a sales funnel that gets you from that gets you from okay I'll give you my email uh, I'll see whether you're legit or not to Oh my goodness! Yes, just just come in and help. Just just tell me what you need. Um, mm-hmm. it's you know it's taking people down that path. And like similarly, right? I was like, oh god, that's going to take so long to put together. I don't want to do it. Um, but you know, at some but that where I got back to was all right. The amount of time that I have to burn to try to get people down that path, kind of manually, right? Where it's like, okay, first I have to get them to pay attention to my emails. Then I have to try to schedule a call. Then I'll have to do like say lunch or coffee, and then I'll have to do some kind of follow up, and it. It's just a extremely time intensive process to develop business without some kind of path or funnel that you can automate, you know, because that technology based automation is really what makes a difference, you know, and, and, you know, it's not just, Hey, send somebody to a squeeze page, have them buy a product that gets fulfilled by Amazon. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, sure, you can do that, but that's one sale and you won't make any money off of it. You'll need to do like 200,000 sales in order to make it, you know, clear any kind of decent margins. It's, you know, I'm talking about progressing a relationship from somebody has no clue who you are, but they're going to give you a chance because it looks like you're giving them something that might have some value to, no, I really trust this person. I know they have my best interest. They're an expert and, you know, come on in and help us out. And, you know, I, I actually, and because you know, right right now, I'll just full, full disclosure. Um, you know, I'm right. Now, I'm in the middle of Russell Brunson's one funnel away challenge. You know, you're, yeah, oh. trying to you know consuming content through a fire hose. And I've noticed that kind of in the online arena, and anybody who you're listening who whether in kind of like an enterprise services B two B type of thing, uh, look up. Uh, start looking into sales funnels because almost all the use cases are kind of like e-commerce product, you know, say like, you know, fashion, you know, kind of fashion wear uh, supplements or like say, you know, online sales, uh, you know, social media influencers. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of thousands of people who kind of fit in one of those categories. And that's where almost every case study is at. But the exact same process can be used to warm people up for, say, like enterprise sales, because almost all enterprise sales or business development is done 1990s style. People, they make phone calls, they send emails, they schedule coffees or lunches, and it's there's absolutely no ability to scale. I mean, and so I think that kind of for, you know, at least one of the things that I think really astute entrepreneurs do is find something that you already know works and find a part of the market where it is not yet being applied. And because then you can take something that that you already know the framework works and apply it simply someplace where nobody else is. And, you know, and I am talking again way too much. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, so take good. the mic. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I, it kind of blows me away. There's still people that I'm on their newsletter mm-hmm. and I've either purchased products from them yep. in the past or I don't know, have been a fan and I, I can not open their emails for <laughs> months yep. and then one email will catch my attention and they'll be offering some kind of product and I'll be like, holy crap, I need that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. I need to get involved with that. Yes. And I, I completely agree with you that 
email, that sales funnel process is it has to be probably one of the most important aspects of any business. I mean, I, I can't remember the exact statistic, but I think it was like 40% of revenue, like industry, like across all industries yeah. comes from email marketing. Yes. And it's a result of being able to build that relationship. And I know everyone likes to think that email is dead because of how big social media has become, but it's still incredibly effective. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And well, and, and because, but I think, I think there's a, um, I think there's a, uh, there, there's an unspoken element in what you're, in what you're just saying though, which is that I think email is incredibly effective when there is a trusting relationship already in place. Um, you know, because like I get probably a good couple few hundred spam messages a day. Thankfully my spam filter blocks out about half of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, but the thing is, it's like, you know, if it's something that's unsolicited and you don't already know, like, and trust them, then, you know, you, you might as be throwing rocks at a brick wall. It doesn't matter, uh, you know. But on the other hand, if you have cultivated that relationship, and you know, this is kind of we're getting back to what I was saying at the very beginning, which is where I think that where the entrepreneurial journey ultimately needs to go once you once you get through past the swamp, you're paying your bills. You have to figure out, okay, you know, kind of what what is that message that you want to bring out into the market. And then, you know, because what you'll do is that's how you cultivate that community of like-minded raving fans who have extremely high trust, you know, whereby, you know, not that you can go and rapaciously monetize, but you can bring value to them and they, and you will bring that value to them in exchange for equitable compensation, which can and will result in you doing very well if you structure it correctly. Right. I, where I've personally struggled the most, and maybe you had a little bit more success and experience with this because you're a little bit further along, but kind of getting that initial person in the door. Yeah. Like I, I feel like, and maybe, maybe that's way off, but I feel like once I would get them in the door, I yeah. have the ability to kind of cultivate that and groom that relationship. But that initial of like this, getting someone to click on this lead magnet or download yeah. this PDF or kind of get on that list because they want to be there, getting eyeballs on it seems to be one of the most difficult things. So are you doing anything specifically yourself to get more eyeballs on your stuff and find that audience? Um, so that's, that's actually a part of the reason why I've gone down the sales funnel rabbit hole, um, you know, particularly with generating the lead magnet that you can, I mean, because, you know, for, for people who aren't initiated the idea of a sales funnel, the, the way that it works is that in a lot, a lot of cases you'll have, say, some kind of free lead. And then when somebody registers for the free lead magnet, there will be some kind of one-time offer that's, you know, some kind of, you know, ridiculous information product value. And then if they purchase that, there will be some, so, some sort of follow-up offer because, you know, Essentially, what you're looking to do is to get to where your average revenue for the people who click on your lead magnet link exceeds your cost of running ads. Because then when you do that, you can build a, tar- a list of targeted clients without incurring a net advertising cost. You know, that's the, that, that's the proverbial growth hack uh, that you're looking to do uh, with, with a lead funnel. And so I think that the short answer to, uh, to your, your question is um, I have, I've accomplished a few conversations principally through um, largely through what I would call unskilled effort, which is, you know, calls, emails, um, you know, lots and lots of, uh, of, connect, of uh, bombarding people with messages, trying to get them to pay attention. Uh, and what, where I'm working toward right now is getting to where I have something that's repeatable and scalable, um, you know, just because there's only so many hours in the day. And, you know, if it's like, you know, if, if you either run out of time or if you happen to be at a low engagement time of the year or whatever, you can go a long time without getting any engagement at all unless you're lucky. Right. Yeah. He'd be 
posting up in the DMs all day yeah. long. Yeah, <laughs> have yep. nothing yep. to exactly. show for. This. <laughs> yeah. Precisely, precisely. Yes, and that's I th- and and of course, right when when everybody's right, when you're starting out, right, nobody has not have a, has a sales funnel when you're starting out because if you had a sales funnel, you would already have a, you already have a business, and so nobody has any of this in place when they're starting out, and that's a, that that that's a kind of a part of what makes the swamp so tricky is because not only you you're simultaneously hustling to try to get something together through, you know, as I'm going to date myself here, you're kind of trying to MacGyver a deal together. I mean, please tell me you're old enough to know, to, to recognize the Richard Dean Anderson uh, uh, references. And at the same time, you're trying to put together something that will be sustainable for future growth. I mean, mm-hmm. and, you know, but of course, right, if it was too easy, then everybody would do it. Right. Yeah, exactly. There was a an episode. It was back in episode sixty-two. Alex Sanfilippo. I like Alex. He, he's a he's a quality guy. He, oh yeah, he's he's a blast. Yeah, well, yeah, well and we, yeah, because yeah, when, when when I chatted with him on my podcast, uh, we 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 were talking about the importance of authenticity, and so uh, so yeah, I've uh, I've since used that as a crutch to do very minimal editing on my shows. It's it has <laughs> saved the world as far as my, as far as my time is concerned. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> But he, yeah. So he, he had talked about like doing the things that don't scale. And that's kind of like the stage that you're in right now yeah. is focusing on the things that don't scale, but it, it allows you to build deeper yeah. relationships with people. Yeah. It's, you can't shoot to the moon tomorrow, yeah. but you're slowly kind of cultivating that list and that one-on-one interaction does go a long way. Um, precisely, precisely, and 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 the thing is, right? You know, it it always it always takes some time to kind of figure out what's that right mix of stuff for my particular business, and you necessarily have to go through some trial and error. You know, now I think this is actually where um, where reading a lot can be helpful because uh, you know uh, one one line that I heard, I, I don't want to claim credit for it. I think I think it was Tony Robbins who first said this, but uh, it's basically what you figure when you read a book, you essentially get ten years of somebody else's life over the course of about two. To three hours, um, you know, and so if you think about it that way, you know, you know, again, you know, assuming you're not reading, you know, novels or or you know other kind of you know uh, ob, you know obsoletable uh, content. If you're reading evergreen content, then what you're essentially doing is absorbing a decade of somebody else's life every time you read a two to three hundred page book. Uh, now, wow. and think thinking about it in that context, you would say, oh my goodness, I should read as much as humanly possible. Yes, you should. <laughs> yes, you should. There, there is absolutely no bad time to read more, um, you know, because it will, it will help you assimilate, you know, more information, more ideas, more different modes of thinking. And, you know, because I think there's at least the way that I think about it is that, right, the first, your, your kind of, your first challenge is, you know, kind of to get that, 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 what I call that first efficient sale. So in other words, that get, get to that point where it's like, okay, if I do X, Y, and Z, uh, at, you know, to where I know how many people do I have to call? How many contacts does it take? You know, what, you know, when do I get to where I have, you know, I know if I do X, Y, and Z, it will get to a sale. You know, first step is to get to that point. Next step is to make it better. And then, and then to automate as much as you can. But until you know what it's going to take to get to a sale, you know, as long as you're kind of Kind of scratching around, trying to see see what happens. You're you're kind of fumbling through the dark, and that's a lot of what the swamp is about: is kind of figuring out what you know. What is that? What is that path to an efficient or effective sale in my business? You, you got me thinking about a lot here now. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, First that's a good off, thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is. So, with with that in mind, are you tracking a lot of the stuff? So, when you're doing like personal outreach, say you are jumping into DMs or sending emails or whatever it is, are you tracking like the number of emails or DMs you send 
how many get responses, how many turn into potential clients, or how are you able to kind of define a process that is now improvable? Yeah. Well, and so when I, when I first started out, uh, it was, um, you know, there was, there was no tracking whatsoever. I was just sending out a whole bunch of messages and trying to make something happen. Uh, what I'm doing now is I actually, uh, I actually, I'm actually running all of my tasks, you know, email marketing calls, et cetera, through HubSpot, uh, because, you know, one of the things that HubSpot's really good about is, you know, is tracking conversation strings, you know, so, you know, so for example, then what I can do is, okay, you know, I send someone a message, I set up a follow task a week from now. Well, so then what I can do is now, then I can go in and if they reply, I can sort last action and I can see, okay, or, or you know, kind of last contact or you know, last time something happened, I'll say, oh, somebody replied, I'll go in. And, you know, basically what I can do is I can essentially track, I can use the task email tracking and, you know, those types of things to essentially track a pipeline outside of out. Because I think the problem that, and you know, some, everybody's going to need to find their own system. But like the problem I had was that there's so much noise inside your email box that trying to use that as kind of, you know, as a client management system is so hard that you, you will almost certainly drop, you know, while you're juggling the balls, you're going to drop a lot of them just because of all the noise that exists with an email. So what you really need to do is you need to figure out some way to get a focus on the core activities without getting lost in the noise. And then, well, so, and, and like, for example, um, one of the things that I'm, that I'm kind of working on now, because so like originally I thought that I was going to run my whole business, you know, digital, everything all through, all through HubSpot, where I'm kind of headed now is that I'm kind of using HubSpot for the CRM and for my kind of, you know, kind of for my brochure website, but then I'm going to be running my sales funnels through click funnels. And then, you know, and then essentially, mm-hmm. you know, kind of using Zapier, one of the other integration tools to kind of, to keep the two tools in sync. And I think when it comes to technology, that's one of the things you have to figure out is right. You know, what, what is the right tool for the thing you need to do? And just understand that it may take a couple of different tools. Try to keep it to two, max three, because you know once the number of tools you're using gets too high, then keeping them all in sync will get impossible. Right. That's, yeah. And then kind of like what we were talking about before, I was actually having a conversation earlier today with someone. They were talking about how they used all of these tools to automate yeah. everything. And now they finally got to a point, they've developed a process where it's like, okay, now can I shave some of these tools out of the <laughs> workflow and still be efficient? Because- yeah. I just don't want to worry about managing all this different stuff. So I, I, I like the, the, the two rule. Yes. I'm, I'm a, well, I'm a tool freak. So well, I, I yeah, well, well, and, everything. Yeah. Well, and because especially because, you know, in my background and with enterprise IT, one of the things that I saw a lot of times would be, you know, you kind of come into a place and they just have, you know, you, there'll be just this amalgamation of a whole bunch of different software systems and, you know, they don't talk to each other and the data is all, you know, the, the, the data tables are always out of sync. And so what ends up happening is if you get too many of those types of situations, you'll get to where you, you just can't trust the data anywhere and then right. it's like well what's the point of having tools um you know because like uh you know I, uh, it's been long enough ago now to where it's not private confidential information but like uh, back at intel uh you know we had a very large uh, acquired company that uh had no interest in integrating on to the enterprise resource planning system and so when the way that we consolidated their PL, you know this is like a billion plus dollar subsidiary was by emailing Excel spreadsheets in Outlook. <laughs> We'd email spreadsheets back and forth. Um, you know, this is in, you know, in a world-class technology company for a billion plus dollar subsidiary and right. we're consolidating through emailed spreadsheets. Dang. That, that blows my mind because that's not the first like I've 
I've experienced some of that myself where it's like, okay, there's all these systems out there that can do amazing things and still operating in Excel. Yes. And yeah, <laughs> I know and, Excel is great. You can yes. do a lot of things with it, but managing a multi-billion dollar company not probably so isn't one of the things you should do. <laughs> yeah. It's not it's one of the things that you should not be doing. Yes, precisely. Precisely. <laughs> and because I think that's one of the things is that getting your systems to stay in sync and talk is actually very important. And it's a lot more work than anybody thinks. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. So, Doug, I, I do want to be conscious of your time, but I, I do want to ask you with with everything that you've had, you've gone through all the experiences that you had right now, if you had to start over yep. and knowing what you know now, what what would you do differently or what would you do the same? Uh, so I would I think the the big thing that I would do differently is I think the the principal blunder that I think I made was I jumped right into a product or solution. And, you know, because the thing is that, you know, you know, because like what I found was I'm like, hey, I'm like, you know, because I could talk with expense reduction consulting. I'm like, hey, the value proposition here is great. You know, everybody will be all over this. Not until they trust you. So you what where I would always start is figure out who your people are, right? Who and most likely there'll be people who are very similar to you. Um, mm-hmm. you know, who, figure out who your people are and then build a strategy to collect them together and get them to trust you. And then this is gonna sound stupidly simple, but ask them what problems they have and go and solve them. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, if 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 I was starting it all together, I would just just get, you know build your kind of you know build your community, your get your people together, you know collect, you know get you know get them on a, get them on a list where they know, like, and trust you. Ask them what their problems are, and then go and solve them and sell it. Um, and I I, I have a hard time feeling that you would fail with that strategy. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it, it is stupid simple. I mean, and I can't claim credit for that. I first heard that from Frank Kern. Um, unfortunately, after I'd already kind of after I'd already written a disturbingly large check, so, <laughs> so I'm kind of backfitting it into what what, what, I, what I'm doing right now. But yes, that's uh, but yeah, that that is the Frank Kern strategy, uh, which is to you know just get, find your group, figure out what their problems are by asking them, and then go solve them. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. It's so easy to find like what you're saying, find the solution, find the product, and then yes. go. Look for a problem that yeah, that yes, serves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that because that, that's what we say. Hey, this is so cool. Oh, go let, let's go sell this. Okay, well, who are you going to sell it to? Well, people who need it. Well, who needs it? Well, <laughs> you know, people. Well, okay, what people? Well, I don't know. Well, what? Figure that out then. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? What if those people don't identify with you? Well, well, uh, I'll figure that out. Okay, well, why don't you just start with people who do identify with you? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, it seems it. so easy after after, after you In hit the wall a few times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I am completely with you there. That's yep. I've been through the same struggles as well. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, I really appreciate the time. Thank you for letting me on the show. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Um, is there any links, social media, website, any place you want people sure. to go or check out the podcast, obviously? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my, my po- uh, the site for my podcast is uh, just TerminalValuePodcast.com. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-A-L-V-A-L-U-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com, spelled like it sounds. And my website is TerminalValue.biz. Uh, don't click around too much quite yet because I'm still building it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's it. You know, go ahead and definitely go and check out the podcast. Uh, and, um, you know, on, on both sites, there'll be uh, links to my LinkedIn and Twitter and all that. I'm most active on LinkedIn. Uh, so then for LinkedIn, just Doug Utberg, there's no, there, there's only one of us on the planet. So, <laughs> so there's no numbers after it's D O U G U T B E R G. Beautiful. 
Well, I will put links to that in the show notes for this episode. Perfect. So if you want to get in contact with Doug, go check out his podcast, which I highly recommend you do. Uh, you can go to the show notes and check that out. Doug, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was a blast chatting with you today. Thank you. Yeah, it's good times. That was Doug Upberg. Doug brought up a lot of valuable points throughout this episode, and much of what he spoke about tied really well into the last few interviews of the show, episode 80 with Tanya Eberhardt and Michael Carr, and then episode 82 with Peter Moore. So if you haven't already listened to those episodes, I definitely recommend you jump back and give those a listen. Coming up with a solution before understanding what problem that solution is for is a huge issue when it comes to getting started, and one mistake that I have personally made multiple times. Additionally, your branding and your message is what's going to get people to align with you and your company. When your brand message is clear, it becomes much easier for people to relate and align with what you're doing. I hope this episode was inspirational for some of you who may feel stuck on that corporate hamster wheel feeling like you're just spinning in place. And hopefully you were able to gain some valuable insight from what Doug has shared with us today. Now, Doug did mention a few links and books during this episode, so if you want the links to any of that or links to get in contact with Doug or listen to the Terminal Value podcast, head over to 95podcast.com forward slash episode 83. That's 8-3. Lastly, like you heard at the beginning of the episode, I want to help you start your own podcast. If you're ready to take that leap and work with me personally in a one-on-one setting, I will provide a link in the show notes for you to pick a time where we can hop on a Zoom call and chat about what a launch might look like for your show. Well, guys, that is all she wrote for today. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Stay safe, and I will catch you all in next week's episode. 